For God so loved, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. What you just heard is one of the most celebrated truths in this entire Bible. This book, which is a collection of 66 books, this book, which has over 40 authors, but really only one author, this book, which tells dozens and dozens of stories over centuries, but really only tells one story, this book, which yes, includes commandments and laws, but also poetry and worship, history and love, this book is summarized almost perfectly and succinctly all these 31,000 verses in this book, the Bible, in this one verse, John 3, 16. These are the numbers of hope for those that understand what these numbers 316 point to. They can change you not only today, but forever. So in last week's study, we broke down the first half of this verse into three parts, three components. God is, God loves, and God gives. And now we're going to get into the second half of this verse. Whoever believes in him, Jesus, whoever believes in Jesus should not perish, but have eternal life. God is, God loves, God gives, and today's emphasis is whoever, forever. Whoever and forever. Now that word whoever is not a, only a very important word in all the Bible, but specifically in the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John uses this word often. It just used it in the preceding verses, verses 14 and 15 of John 3. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Right before that, it said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever, can we say that together? Whoever, whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Not only before John 3.16, but immediately after John 3.16 in John 3.36. Whoever, let's just practice saying it together. Let's say it together. Whoever, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. The next chapter, it says this, John 4, verse 14. Whoever, let's track, practice together. Ready? Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. Isn't that good news? Jesus says, the water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And then one of my favorite verses in all the Bible, John 6, 37. Hear these words, friends. All, this is Jesus, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Isn't that good news? Isn't the beautiful, inclusive invitation of John 3.16 good news? 
Absolutely. And as we're going to understand the implications and applications of whoever, we're going to understand two seemingly paradoxical truths. Ready? The first one is this. This is an inclusive invitation with a very exclusive message. Secondly, you're going to see that eternal life is not necessarily based, at least initially, on your goodness or your badness, but on your closeness to Jesus Christ. It's entirely a work of salvation from beginning to end. Grace from God through Christ for all who believe. Yes, we need to be perfect to be in the perfect presence of God. It's only because of the perfect righteousness of Christ that we can step in to God's presence. We know that we are not always perfectly good. No, it's not a matter of our goodness or our badness, but our closeness to Jesus. And this invitation goes to everyone, everyone, anywhere, at any time. So whoever in John 3.16 means salvation does not depend on your race. This is for both Jew and Gentile. It doesn't matter whether you have a certain skin color or not. Whoever is an invitation for you. Whoever means salvation does not depend on your race, your color, your country, your address, your bank account, your reputation, your popularity, your appearance, your clothes, your track record, your criminal record, and even whether you have an affinity for organized religion or not. Whoever, whoever may come. Now, we tend to have a hard time believing this, do we not? Because there's some people in our lives that we're pretty sure, pretty sure, will never be interested in hearing John 3.16. We're pretty sure because of either the lifestyle they live in just uh, unadulterated pleasure or absolute disdain for the gospel, we're pretty convinced, well, it's no use reaching out to that person. Friends, I have to say this. Whoever means whoever for that person. And maybe you are that person today. In the scriptures, we see plenty of people that no one would have ever guessed would have been a believer in Jesus Christ. In fact, the first book of the New Testament was written by a man named Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector. He was someone hired by the Roman emperor to extort the money from his fellow Israelites and then use it for his own personal comfort and glory. Jesus captured this man's heart, made him a disciple, made him an apostle. Yes, tax collectors are welcome. Yes, zealots, those who can only hear political revolution. Yes, you, Simon, the zealots are welcome as well. Yes, you, as we will see in John chapter 4, the one who had struggled after relationship and relationship, marriage after marriage, uh, inappropriate physical, intimately relationship after relationship, you're welcome as well. The Samaritan woman's at the well. Also, those who are very religious, 
those who do not see their need for grace, the whoever applies to them as well. There was one person in the book of Acts, his name was Saul. And Saul persecuted the early church. Saul hated the movement and the momentum of the gospel of Jesus Christ as it spread throughout the world and he was trying to exterminate it and extinguish it. Until what? God knocked him off his horse. On the road to Damascus, Jesus peered through his darkness and what was his personal darkness? Self-righteous anger. Jesus saved Saul of Tarsus and made him Paul the apostle. We all have stories of people we know that perhaps weren't quote-unquote good church-going folk, but when Jesus captures their hearts, when he saves them, forgives them, renews them, lets them understand truly and deeply how much he loves them, watch the transformation. Watch the power of whoever in John 3.16 as it's applied to someone's life. Whoever means truly Whoever, if you think you're outside the reach of God, you need to believe in a bigger God. If you think you're outside the mercy of God, you need to return back to the word of God and hear John 3.16. Whoever. I like how one author put it, Octavius Winslow. He said this, speaking of returning back to God. He said, oh, blessed door of return, open and never shut." To the wanderer from God, how glorious, how free, how accessible. Hear the sinner, the vile, the guilty, the unworthy, the poor, the penniless, they may come. Here too, the weary spirit may bring its burden, the broken spirit, its sorrow, the guilty spirit, its sin, the backsliding spirit, its wandering, all are welcome here. The death of Jesus was the opening and the emptying of the full heart of God. That's a good quote. Yes and amen. The invitation of whoever means this. It means that whatever sins you've committed, whenever those sins were committed in your past, not only whatever and whenever, it also means however you are running from those sins in the present, this eternal life is for you. There's no problem too big. There is no pit too low. There is no place too far. Wherever, whenever, however, this whoever includes you, if you believe, forever. Amen? This is the invitation of God. This is the heart of God. So we see both this inclusive invitation but we also see its very exclusive application. Whoever, what does it say? Believes. Now that's an important word. We are all believers. Every single one of us. Not only those that gather together on Sunday morning in churches. Every single human being alive is a worshiper and a believer in something or someone. It's just a matter of what you're putting your trust in and what you find your worth in. So every single person's a believer. Everything that we do, all of our behaviors, the overflow of our belief, our attitudes determine our 
actions. So when the Bible says, whoever believes, it's not saying, all right, well, add this to your litany of other beliefs. No, this word belief is a fundamental transformation of your very self. You remember the preceding passage to John 3.16? It was a conversation that Jesus had with a Pharisee, with someone that sat on the religious Sanhedrin. He was called the teacher of Israel. His name, Nicodemus. And what did Jesus say to him two times? Two times. What does it mean to believe? He said this, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Nicodemus doesn't understand. He doesn't get it. Jesus repeats it. I tell you the truth. No one can enter into the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and of spirit. Believing means being born again. New life. A new heart. You're made a new creation. You see, the old has gone. The new has come. There's been a supernatural transformation not only inside of you, but also your position, your place before a holy God has changed. You've gone from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. You were once dead in your sin, and now you're alive forevermore. You were once prodigals, and now you're sons. You were once rebels, and now you're daughters. He adopts you. He loves you. He promises to bring you safely home. All of this under the banner of belief. You know what else is under the banner of belief? Repentance. Repentance. I don't know how often the word repentance comes up in your casual conversations with your friends or anything like that. It's a word that today in our society, in our culture, yes, people condescend toward. They'll think it's too archaic, it's too anachronistic, too religious, but oh, it's very, very important to understand it is at the very heart of the gospel invitation. And what does it mean? It means to turn and return. Turn and return. It means that when we understand that we are going down a dark, desperate road, we need to turn the car around. Now, long before we had GPS kids, there was these things called maps. I don't know if you've ever seen them. They're like paper. There's no buttons on them. You had to kind of like follow the map. It was really something else. You should check them out in a museum, I'm sure, somewhere. Whenever we used to get lost, we would have to refer to the map. And now the map, not only the map and paper, but also GPS on your phone, is the Word of God. So the Word of God reveals the Son of God for the glory of God. And what happens is, friends, we hear an invitation. Literally, we're at a crossroads. Because of the cross of Christ, we are at a crossroads. And the invitation is to turn left. And this way leads to true purpose and peace. This way leads to truly knowing God, being known by God, and helping to make him known, to have eternal impact for your life. But many, when they hear the invitation, they don't go left on that road of peace and purpose. They go what? Right. And on this road, it's filled with a lot of potholes. It's filled with a lot of detours. Now, there's plenty of pretty signs along this road telling you everything's fine, telling you not to pay attention to all the other cars that have fallen off the cliff 
all the other wheels that have popped off the cars, all the people on the side of the road in despair. But just keep looking at the advertisements, please. No, we go right, and then what happens? Friends, this is so us, right? We go right, we know we should be going left, and we continue to go down that path. Why? Two reasons. We like our own hands on the wheel. Long before Carrie Underwood sang, Jesus, take the wheel, we refuse to let go of it. Secondly, the nature of guilt is a very interesting, interesting nature. Repentance isn't saying, God, I really feel bad about what I'm doing, but I'm just going to keep going this way. By God's grace, what God does is when he changes our hearts, we don't just feel bad about going the wrong way. What do we do, friends? We've got to turn the ship around. Turn the car around. Turn your life around. How do we do that? By returning back to God. By returning back to one who loves you and who has given his son to die for your sin. You see, if we do not believe, then what we are choosing to do is to believe in ourselves. If we do not believe in Christ, what we are choosing to do is to remain in our sin. If we do not believe, if we do not trust, if there is not this transaction, this supernatural renewal, then we die in our sins, detached from God, and yes, God grants us our wish. We have said to God throughout our whole lives, God, leave us alone, leave us alone, leave us alone. What is hell? God granting that wish forever. Whoever believes, what is the next part? Shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Shall not perish, but have everlasting life. When we understand that God is, we understand that we are not. When we understand that God is, we understand that we're not God, right? We understand that God gives his son Jesus as a savior. We understand that we aren't the savior. Here's an important truth, friends. Not only when we understand that God is, God's not the creation of culture. God's not the speculation of philosophers. When we understand that God truly is, we understand what? Our lives are not about us. Your life is not about you, and that's the best news you've ever heard, okay? Secondly, not only is your life not about you, John 3.16 reminds us, a very difficult lesson for many of us to learn, you cannot fix you. Now, in some ways, in some levels, we may go from one vice to another. We may be able to overcome a certain addiction or a certain problem. But here's the truth. Beneath all of those vices, all of those addictions, all of those habits, all of those proclivities rests this continual problem of pride. You see, when the Bible talks about perishing, it's referring to hell. Hell is the place where hope perishes. Hell is the place where happiness perishes. But hell is the place where pride continues to run rampant. You see, the Bible describes salvation as a gift. God extends his grace through the cross of his son so that we might believe and receive this gift without the grace of God, without even the common grace that's giving us breath today, that's giving us life today. 
in a place that God, the Bible says, that God created, not designed for his creation, not designed for those made in his image, but a place made for demons and for Satan. When God gives us this invitation to believe and receive in Jesus Christ, what we have to remember is that those common graces and that saving grace is no longer available. And in that place, that dark place, pride runs rampant. How does the uh, classic line go? I'd rather reign in hell than serve in heaven. Pride runs rampant. C.S. Lewis put it like this. I willingly believe that the damned in hell are in one sense successful rebels to the end that the doors of hell are locked from the inside. That when we're at our most debased, our most depraved, even in our suffering, we would not repent. This is why this life really, really matters. This is why this verse really, really matters. So that we would not only hear it, but that we would believe it, receive it. It's interesting, though, in our day and age, there's been plenty of attempts to, what, deny hell, disregard hell, or even try to air condition hell. Nobody talks about it anymore. It's almost as if it just disappeared. Everyone believes they're going to heaven. What do you got to do to go to heaven? You just got to die. That's it. That's how you go. Everyone believes, here's the truth, friends, that they're more compassionate than Jesus Christ. Everyone believes they're more enlightened than Jesus Christ. Everyone believes they're more progressive. I got to use that word carefully. Than Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus spoke of hell more than anyone else in all your Bible. If you ask people even on the street, was Jesus one of the most compassionate, caring, forgiving, kind people to ever walk planet earth? They would probably say yes. 13% of Jesus's teachings were about the reality of heaven and hell. Two-thirds of his teachings, of his parables, were about the reality of that day of the Lord where there will be judgment. Jesus, the friend of sinners. Jesus, who welcomed adulterers, tax collectors, who, yes, when everyone else wrote that person off, Jesus pursued them, But friends, you have to understand this. Hell exists. When Jesus speaks of hell, is he being judgmental? Is he being, uh, let's say, narrow-minded? Is he being any of these other ways that we might condescend and judge him? Or is he being 100% loving? If it exists, if hell exists, exists in the same way heaven exists, then the most loving thing that we can do is to tell others about it. Has anyone ever heard of the uh, quote-unquote magical act, Penn and Teller? Penn and Teller? Well, Penn Jillette is a very ardent atheist. He's, he's not only a not a believer, but he also likes to uh, condescend to those who are believers and tell them how much they're idiots. Um, so, It's a very interesting interaction that he had with somebody after one of his shows. Penn Jillette had a man come down after one of his shows and hand him a Gideon's Bible. And thank God for the Gideons, right? 
hand him a Gideon's Bible, and he looked him in the eye. He listened. You could tell he was genuinely interested in Pendulette. And you could, you could listen to Pendulette's testimony about it. It's on YouTube. Go ahead and watch. And he says, this man, even though I don't, don't agree with anything that he said, I don't agree with the Bible or anything it says, this man genuinely is interested in me. And he continued to talk about how moved he was that this man stepped out in faith, knowing that I was an atheist, a very vocal atheist, and shared with me the good news. Not only the good news of heaven, but also the reality of hell. And then Pendulette says this in his video. It's powerful. Talking about the reality of everlasting life. He said, if you believe there is a heaven, if you believe there is a hell, and you don't tell anyone, how much do you have to, quote, hate that person to not tell them? Wow. How much do you have to hate that person to not tell them? Shocking that we would be challenged by an ardent atheist. But this is what we see reflected in the heart of Christ, that he spoke of the reality of heaven and hell often because it is reality. As Ralph said, even in this opening prayer, many people will think, well, this is too narrow-minded. How can there only be one way? But thank God, there is a way. When we understand how holy God is, that in his perfect presence, there isn't one ounce and one iota of darkness or sin, then how could I exist in that place? How could I have fellowship with that God? No, what I needed was not to climb the ladder of heaven. No, I needed God to come down that ladder to save me. The, the, the true question when it talks about God's judgment is not this. Friends, many people ask, how can a good God send people to hell? The real question is, how could a good God send any of us to heaven? That's politically incorrect. Yes, because to our not only thoughts, not only cultural ideology, but also to our hearts. That's offensive. Listen, Jesus Christ wasn't crucified because he was really well known for petting sheep and hugging children. He was crucified, why? Because he would say things like this. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. The Apostle Paul, at the end of his life, he's writing to his protege, Timothy. At the end of his life, he's been saved. He's been filled with the grace of God, moved and used powerfully by God to lead thousands of people to come to know Christ. You know what he says at the end of his life? I'm the worst of all sinners. You see what happens, friends? The closer we grow to God, what happens? the more we realize how much of a sinner we are. The closer though, friends, listen, you gotta hear this. If you're not familiar with the Bible, the closer you grow to God, the more sure you become of his salvation. When you understand the gospel of grace, it's both. Paul will say this and proclaim this in Romans 8 verse one. There is therefore no condemnation 
for those who are in Christ Jesus. We have no fear of judgment because God judged Jesus in our place. But the more that he grows closer to God's holiness, the more he realizes his need for grace. It's like kind of like scrubbing your kitchen floor, right? It's one thing to pick up a couple toys that the kids left on the floor. It's another thing to sweep the floor. It's another thing to mop the floor. But the closer you get to that kitchen floor, the more you realize what? This thing is dirty. And we can't even see it on a molecular level. You see, God sees us. He knows us. Where can we flee from the presence of the Lord, as the psalmist says? He knows us better than anyone else. He loves us more than anyone else. The only choice of forgiveness, cleansing, is to receive the gift. And it's a gift of salvation. Now, many of us, when we hear this, that we cannot save ourselves, it's all a gift, it's all grace, we tend to rebel against it. Why? Because it's something in our nature. I don't know if you've been watching the NBA playoffs. Has anyone been watching the NBA playoffs? Now, what happens when a player gets a foul called on him? What happens? Does he say, yes, you're right, referee. Yes, you are correct. It was I. I committed the foul. Please give them not only two foul shots. Please give them 10 foul shots. If you watch sports at all, what happens? They rage against the refs. They yell against the refs. They point fingers. They get up in their face against the refs, right? They have to be separated from the refs. Man, what a reflection of our relationship with God. And then they what? They show the slow motion. And what happened? It was such a foul. It was so clearly a foul. Not only did he hit his hand, he even elbowed him in the gut and then punched him in the face. But then he was denying the whole thing the whole time. In slow motion... We all know that we're sinners. When God reveals his holiness, he will reveal two things. That he does not take any, any pleasure in the death of the wicked. Ezekiel 33 verse 11 says this, As I live, declares the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked would turn from his way and live, and live. Turn back, God says, turn back from your evil ways. God takes no pleasure in that. So that's why God has been trying to communicate his glory through creation, but clearly our hope of salvation through his word. One author put it like this. We accuse God of unfairness. God has wrapped caution tape on hell's porch, posted a million and one red flags outside of hell's entrance, to descend into hell's stairs, you have to cover your ears, blindfold your eyes, and most shockingly, step over the crucified body of the perfect Son of God, Jesus Christ, as you continue your descent into hell. God has done everything that he could possibly do to win your heart and to bring you back from that horrible fate. Here's the truth, friends, and we'll close with this. For those who trust in Christ, this life is the closest to hell that we'll ever get. For those who refuse to believe in Christ up into our last breath, this is the closest to heaven we will ever get. The invitation is clear. The hope is eternal. The gift is free. Would you turn from self from sin, 
And would you return back to a heavenly father who loved you so much that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Amen? Amen. Let's pray, church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Your word that both inspires and encourages. Your word that both challenges and convicts. Heavenly Father, I pray that people would take this word, not my words, but your word, John 3.16, very, very seriously. Perhaps there are some people going down that wrong road, and they're tired and they're weary of all the potholes, detours, all the times that they have gone off track, off the cliff. So God, I pray that you send your spirit now. Give us the grace, God, to return home. Let the prodigal come home. Let him come home and stay home. If you want to know what eternal life really means, it begins by confessing our need for salvation, confessing the source of our salvation, Christ, and repenting of our sin. Would you be willing to do that today, this hour? The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Would you be willing to surrender, to trust Christ with your life, your past, your present, your future, to trust Christ with your sin, your doubts, all of your bitterness? Would you be willing to open your heart and surrender this morning? If you can sense the Lord working on your heart, I'm going to say a simple prayer, and the prayer is merely a God. Let it be the very echo, the desperate cry of your heart. Pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, I want to know your love. I know that you are a holy God. Please forgive me of my sin, God. Fill me with your presence. Come into my life. Say it to him. Today I surrender. Give me the grace to follow you. I pray this in Jesus' good name. Amen.